Hee hee hee. I will probably talk at this length. Volume, I mean. Rad. We're learning together and we're learning how to... How to podcast. <laughs> how to podcast. Three years in. <laughs> cool. Ready? Mm-hmm. Am I ready? It was right. This is Brandon Barricades, uh, Lemons Podcast. Uh, this is Nemo Martin, your host. I use they, them pronouns. And today I got so many gifts from different people. Um, uh, a friend sent us hot tamales from America, mm-hmm. which are like cinnamon flavored jelly beans, which I love so much. I eat them like candy. <laughs> I mean, they <laughs> are candy. And then my. Uh, new downstairs neighbor ellie uh gave me some kit kats because and she wrote me a note which was just like sometimes mondays can be really blur so here have some kit kats this is the cutest thing i've ever had in my entire life (laughs) Um, so i'm feeling very uh warm from snacks (laughs) this is stevie she her pronouns your researcher I'm warm from the curry that I made for dinner, which meant so I was reading the chapters as I cooked. So this book now has the little curry fingerprints. (laughs) Authentic curry fingerprints. (laughs) It'll fit in with every other book I own. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that uh, the book has finally got its uh, Stevie marks on it. Oh, I was gonna go with the, like speaking of leaving a mark, but it's a bit too dark. Oh no! But I guess I've already oh, no, that is. <laughs> <laughs> It took me a second because I was like, oh, like leaving a mark on society, or like you know, leaving your um, uh, history's got its eyes on you. <laughs> but no, I realize what you meant. Oh, yeah, we're still with Cosette, but. As we have said, she was not afraid. Yeah, where we left off, finally, um, someone's here to help Cosette with that bucket. Just a man. It could be any man. It could be anyone. Honestly, maybe it's Javert. Oh, what? God, was I meant? Was I meant to write a fic about that? <laughs> what? No, the, was that a thing we talked about, or have I imagined it? <laughs> yeah. Well. Imagine if it was Javert. <laughs> I mean, it could be. I mean, yeah, and there was that one fanfic where it did happen, where it was Javert who had his moral quandary earlier and helped earlier. Oh, I don't. Did I read that one? Maybe. Um, uh, I think it's literally called something like Valjean and Javert take a road cross road trip across Paris or something like that. Uh, I do recognise that title. It was so many Transformers fix ago. Who can remember? <laughs> <laughs> well, could be Javert is uh, helping out Cosette because he's like, why are you carrying this? It's too heavy for, heavy for you. Um, Give it to me, I'll carry it. It's like, yeah, please. They kind of like chat a bit as they're walking through the forest, which as we must remember was terrifying. Yeah, they're kind of chatting a bit as they walk through this forest, like, oh, is it far? Like, oh, kind of talk about, like, don't you have a mother? 
Um, and because I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't think so. Other people do, but I don't. I think I never had one. And it kind of devastates whoever this man is a little bit. Um, that he's like, oh, wait, what's your name? It's Cosette. That it was as though the man had received an electric shock. Um, he's like looking at her little face in the dark, trying to make out her features. And then is finally like, okay, where do you live? I will help you take this back to where you're going. Uh, and then, yeah, starts asking those leading questions like, so who would send you out to fetch water in the forest at this time? Um, oh, Madame Tenardier. And he keeps asking like this kind of questions about where she's from and like why this tiny little eight-year-old child would be out shivering in the night um that he's trying to do it without any trace of emotion but there was a bit of a tremor in his voice um while asking these questions um she tells him about the inn and that you know if she doesn't do these tasks and if Madame Tenardier sees that he's helping her so she she needs to take the bucket back from him before they get really close to the inn that she will be beaten and yeah he keeps asking her more questions like oh there are no other servants and she's like no um there's no one else that she starts to talk, tells him a bit about the Tenardier's daughters and how they have these beautiful dolls and all day they play and have fun whereas she has to work all day but that sometimes she's allowed to play a little bit, uh, but her toy is the that little lead knife, and he's like, mm. oh, okay, um, does it does it cut? And she's like, oh yes, it's cut salad, and they're like, yeah, her one toy is also just like a practical instrument that she has to use. It's assuming this man is Jean Valjean. Let's imagine <laughs> it's his first like, oh shit, this is. I could have intervened earlier and this has been going on. And Stevie gets very happy that uh, that he gets guilty. <laughs> like, a little bit. I don't know. He could have come earlier. <laughs> he could have come earlier. I do agree. Yeah, they get close, then they get to the inn and that's when she takes the bucket back and we're on to the vexation of playing host to a poor man who may be rich. <laughs> um, yeah, so they get back to the inn and immediately Mrs. Tenardier is just like, you took so long, you little beggar. Um, you must have been dawdling, wasting my time. And then when Cosette's like, oh, there's a man here who wants to stay for the night. Uh, the Tenardier woman's was quickly replaced her chairless scowl with, amiable, with her amiable grimace. A change of expression characteristic of innkeepers. <laughs> They're just like, oh, money's <laughs> to be made. Hello. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I'm trying not to get so angry about the same things, but it's the same bullshit. <laughs> I'm gonna get angry about it. Yeah, I mean, this is just like the first instance of it. We'll, I'll keep shaking this bottle that is Nemo. That. <laughs> It'll, it will reach the point where we'll be ready for you to uh, explode it all out because it just, like, that theme <laughs> of the going from, like, come on, you little shit, what have you been doing, blah, 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 to, like, hee-hee, you're here to spend money, um, really double, triple, quadruples down in these coming chapters. 
Mm. <laughs> it may come as a surprise to some. Uh, but, yeah, so she turns this little amiable grimace onto the newcomer. And then he's like, oh, yes, I'm the gentleman, madam. And he raises his hand to his hat. Wealthy travellers are not so polite. And as soon as he does this, she goes back to her grimace and is like, oh, we must be a, some beggar. And she's like, come in, old man. And then the rest of the times in this chapter, when it refers to the old man, it's in little quotation marks, as if Victor Hugo's like, silly woman who thinks he's an old man. It's like, you he is an old man. I know you said that he looks 20 years younger than he is, but he he is an older man, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's at least 40. He's at least 40 to 50 at this point. Okay, I was actually remembering him older. But okay, maybe I'll allow the old man wait, quotation. Wait, 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 wait. Google, tell me how old Jean Valjean is. Cosette is eight at this point, and that's canon. Because is he 60 but looks 40, or is he 80 but looks 60? Because it's one of those. Oh, okay, no, he wasn't 80 when he dies. He was 64. Oh, he, he's not that wait. old. Yeah, so he's like 60 now? So maybe the old man is allowed to be in quotation marks, Victor Hugo. <laughs> I mean, 60 is pretty old. But it's not, like, ancient. Yeah. What was the age expectancy in France? Mm, That's more the point. Whoa, this website is wild. It is... The background is black. The text is in neon green and bright red. I trust it. I trust it with all its information. Um, But it is not what I thought it would be. Also, the life expectancy... Of an ex-convict would probably be way lower because he's been doing all that hard labour. Yeah, true. I was going to be like, because surely he'd have the lung. And I was like, no, I don't think they ever put him down a mine. (laughs) (laughs) But everyone had the lung in the olden times. (laughs) Doesn't he? Does he have? Does he ever cough into a handkerchief? At the end of his life? So we can be like, ah, yes, anime sickness. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was the tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. I'm imagining it somewhere around 70. Okay. It can't be higher than that, yeah, really. Yeah, that's probably true. Okay, so maybe he is an old man. Fine. So then there's <laughs> less reason for it to be in quotation marks. Yeah, yeah. Well, just because Victor Hugo was salty at... Uh... <laughs> well, this old man who one must assume was swell. Um, she very quickly like looks at his hat, his frock coat is like mm, threadbare. Oh, his hat's a bit battered. Oh, ring like very quickly, just like okay, probably poor. Um, she <laughs> jet looks over to her husband across the room and kind of does this motion of like screwing up her eyes and wrinkling her nose, and he replies to that across the room with this like imperceptible motion of the forefinger uh, which together with the pursing of the lips signifies in such cases flat broke oh my god (laughs) so then they're immediately like okay you don't really have money to spend so if you want lodgings because you're such a pauper it's going to be double what we would normally charge someone (laughs) that it just doesn't but like do that but for rich people they have the money to pay yeah but it's such that thing of like you can't afford 
to die kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a there's a Carter who, um, in my other, in our collection of Jean Valjean X, this random person fix. I'm adding this <laughs> Carter because he like is very involved in this chapter where he's like, oh, but Madame, like, that room's usually twenty Susan. She's like, no, 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 it's forty for him. It's forty for him. I don't give lodgings oh to paupers for less. <laughs> That's um, excellent. Carter, nameless Carter, we hope you get at least one fan fiction out of this podcast. I hope so, because he has another little moment coming up. Um, (laughs) um, Because that brings the water to that man who absolutely had to have it for his horse. Um, Climbs back under the table. She's doing her little knitting, being as quiet as she can be. Um, barely moving if she can help it, def- like not drawing any attention to herself. Because <laughs> that was ugly. Had she been happy, she might have been pretty. Jesus. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> we, we get like another... Dis- Even Victor Hugo at this point is like, we have described the state of the little girl, but I'm just going to reiterate what a like sad state that she's in. She's so cold. She's still wet from when the water from the well splashed, not the, was it a well? The stream splashed her, but she can't even waste the time to warm herself up by the meagre fire. She's just sort of shuddering, darning these stockings that she has to make. Um, She's so skinny and like everything about her and everything that she does just reiterates how much fear she's feeling at all time that fear was written all over her she was steeped in it fear drew her elbows and close to her hips kept her feet tucked under her skirt uh deep in her eyes was a kernel of stupefied terror that at certain moments she seemed to be turning into an idiot or a demon which that was the interesting way of conveying how much fear she has hugo yeah ableism and uh Hmm, interesting. I guess it was the devil more than demon. But to have so recently compared a black person to the devil or the devil to a black person, I I feel like it's a bit tenuous Mm. now that we've come this far. But, yeah. But the point could be made. (laughs) But the point could be made that... uh, that Fontaine, I guess, but she definitely was not yeah. a black person. And what's his face? Ptolemy's Theodore? Yeah, he wouldn't have had Ptolemy's. that much money. Yeah. If he wasn't yeah. white. Well, he could have done, he could have been a mixed race black person, um, like Alexander Dumas' mm. father, or Alexander Dumas himself. But, and uh, another guy, oh, what was his name? Chevalier something. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I feel like Victor Hugo would have let us know yeah, was... <laughs> that he was a black person. Yeah, because um, then he definitely would have been like, and that what was why he was such a shit. <laughs> yeah, for real. Mm. Or he would have been like, uh, trying to be kind of like, um, he had risen above his station and yet he was a rich man. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. 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 So we know that he's <laughs> yeah. white. And we know that Fontaine is white because she's so beautiful yeah. and so pretty. Oh, we talked ourselves in and then back out. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, so then the... Oh, I was about to do the same thing I did last time, where I was going to be like, Schrodinger's gun. Um, <laughs> and now that I've done that once, that's, I'm going to do it every single time when I try and think of both of those things. Um, that 50 pence that has been hanging around and then got dropped in the dropped into the water. Mrs. Tenarier's like, okay, where's the bread then? Cosette, as we've seen earlier, when she's like full of so much fear for Mrs. will just try and lie. I was like, oh no, the bakery wasn't open. Oh, I did knock, I did knock, but he wouldn't open the door. Then goes to try and give back the coin, but it's not there. So Mrs. Tenarier is immediately like, oh, you're trying to steal from me takes her strap off the wall that's kind of been sitting there in the background of the scene, every scene we've had in the inn. Um, And then the man, who had been wrestling around uh, as this was going on, produces a silver coin. And is like, oh, I saw she dropped this on the floor just now. Oh, look, I've just found it. See? Uh, And it's like, it's obviously not the coin. It's worth a lot more. But that she's like, oh yes, of course, and snatches it off him. It's like, okay, fine, Cosette, you're fine this time. She, Cosette was already trusting the man, but now is like looking up at him, like with a naive amazement tinged with a kind of stunned truthfulness. He then goes like deep in thought, kind of ignores Mrs. Tenarier. She's asking about what food he would want, and like, will he even be able to afford to pay for lodging? Stupid man giving me back the coin and didn't try to steal it. <laughs> so the two daughters, Zelma and Eponine, come back and we've had so many descriptions of Cosette, like how skinny she is, how she's barely dressed, even for the weather, how cold she is. And then we get these two girls coming in and they've got these like glossy dark hair, they're so plump and healthy and a pleasure to behold uh, how warmly clothed they are these two little girls emanated light moreover they behaved like royalty yep the the bottle of nemo is shaking Mm -hmm. hard no i'm not ready to (laughs) pop the lid on it yet (laughs) Uh, and they have a little doll that they both are playing with and Cosette like looks over enviously. These three little girls' ages did not add up to twenty-four years between them, but they already represented the whole of human human society. Envy on the one hand, scorn on the other. Yeah. It's like it's a good quote. And but the more I think about it, the more I'm like obviously as a child, uh Cosette would envy Eponine and Azilma's I feel like what Victor Hugo is trying to say is that Cosette envies the doll and Eponine Azilma's ability to play with mm. it. But also, he's also trying to say that poor people envy rich people rather than it being like it's it's that thing of rich people being like, oh, Poor people only hate us because they yeah. envy us, and they they want to be us rather than like, hey, like people who are poor have been made poor, <laughs> and like, yeah. uh, it's not about it's. I mean, it 
like it's not just about um envying someone because they have loads of money it's like envying someone for being able to be free enough to like afford to pay for basic yeah. <laughs> luxury not even luxuries just basic things but yeah like it very much feels like one of his lines that he's like bam there it is i did it but then yeah, yeah. even like i wasn't even thinking as far like following that thread as well as you did into i was just like that all of human society is that all it is is envy and scorn victor hugo (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's all he can understand in the world (laughs) okay there we have it (laughs) you heard it here first kids (laughs) because yeah it's that thing of like as someone who is privileged he can only see the world in a way that's like there is scorn and there is envy, and that is how it happens. Mm-hmm. It's a really like toxic way of yeah. being educated into like it's colonial idea of like you know either you're from a society where you are to be envied or you are from a society where you envy others. Uh, pew pew, Kigo. <laughs> 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 Hugo. Release the bees. <laughs> not yet, not yet. It's coming, it's coming. <laughs> well, like, because otherwise you'd release the bees in every single chapter. Yeah, that's true. Um, and there's still so much of this chapter to come. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the two girls are playing with their doll that maybe to them is a bit shabby, it's very old, but to Gazette, who'd never had a doll, a real doll, it's like amazing and so enviable. Oh, that's what I was thinking with the um, envy on the one hand, scorn on the other. That it's like everyone who has something hates everyone who wants something. Victor Hugo. Yeah. Like, like, do you have friends, Victor Hugo? <laughs> <laughs> Are you not happy for anyone to have things? Like, like. Other people can have things and I can be like, oh, cool. I'm glad that you have that thing rather than, wow, I hate your existence (laughs) for having that thing. Yeah. God. So much to unpack about Victor Hugo in one line. (laughs) The podcast. (laughs) (laughs) She, like, Cosette watches them playing for, like, a couple mi- moments, and it's very clear that Mrs. Tenardier is just like looking for excuses to torment her. It's like, oh, see, now I've caught you, and I- I'll pick the strap back up because you're wasting time, you're meant to be darning. That the man is like, Madam, let her play. That she- and Mrs. Tenardier is immediately like, oh, but I feed her, so she has to work, she has to work. I can't just look after her for nothing. I- we can't afford to just taking a charity case so then he sees what it is that she's darning and is like okay well how much are those stockings worth i'll buy some from her that miss tani is like oh, okay it's they're five it's five francs that a good friend the carter is like good god five francs <laughs> <laughs> good job carter we love you i love him um it's like, okay, well, you have to pay right away then. And he pulls out the coins. So then she, like, begrudgingly allows Cosette to 
play with her little lead knife for a little bit. <laughs> I just remembered something, and I'm going to have to make some noise because my book is mm-hmm. under the snacks. Uh, okay, because I remember the line. It's like later on when Thenardier catches Jean Valjean and he says something, and like, I never. I, I never thought about it uh, until now. <laughs> um, but it was like, uh, let's see if I can find it really quickly. I should be able to. Because, yeah, I like when I was rereading the book, um, or reading the novel, and I didn't remember that Cosette was like, or that um, Cosette had donned these socks or whatever, and that. Uh, uh, Jean Valjean had bought them and so when I got to this line I was like what the fuck does that mean because <laughs> um, he's like uh, so Thenardier has found uh, Jean Valjean later on um, this is six, page 652 in the uh, Rose copy uh, you're uh, you're not the one who took Fontaine's kid, the lark, from us. You're not the one to go around uh, who who used to go around in a yellow coachman's greatcoat. Oh no, not you! You even had a parcel of clothes in your hand, just like here this morning. Tell me now, woman, it's a mania with him. It looks like to carry parcels stuffed with blasted wooden woolen stockings to other people's houses. Charitable old bastard, aren't you? Are you in the hosiery business by any chance, Monsieur Millionaire? <laughs> But yeah, I was like reading that and I was like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> Are you in the hosiery business by any chance, Monsieur Millionaire? <laughs> like, that is the weirdest um, what, insult <laughs> that somebody could find. But yeah, like you saying like, oh yeah, and then Jean Valjean like darned, uh, bought the socks that Cosette darned. And I was like, oh, <laughs> This was like right. back. But it was just so far back, Victor Hugo, that who was going to remember it? <laughs> Literally, who? <sighs> also, a tangent, what do you think um, Carter's name is? I mean, Carter is a name. Like, it's a very American, like, Carter. Um, <laughs> but if we can't come up with a better one, and seven people out of ten in this book is called Jean... Um, yeah, you could just be Carter, John Carter, maybe. Is that a real person's name? Why does that sound so familiar? I feel like John. Okay, John spelled with J O H N. John Carter, the film. There we go. That'll be it. <laughs> oh yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> but not that spelling. J E A N Carter, you and maybe have... with an ac- accent on the Carter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, what is Carter in French? He's so impressed by that five franc coin. He's got to like run over and like be like, wow, would you believe it? It's not even counterfeit. I just like <laughs> his bit part and I want to play him in the bit part that he doesn't even make into the into the movie or the play. So he, his name should be Jean uh, Charretier, Charretier. Jean Chartier. That's um, our OC's name. I love him. I want art of him Nemo on my desk. <laughs> and that, like, it's Jean Valjean, like, stoically trying to get things done, and he's just like, Madam, that's too much money! <gasps> wow, look at this money that he's willing to pay! Amazing! <laughs> Jean Chartier, uh, Daddy Kink confirmed. <laughs> 
<laughs> we've had this OC for three seconds and we've already made him kinky. <laughs> well, you did that. I just performed him and you assigned that performance, Daddy. <laughs> oh, I hate that for me and for him. But I guess if it's ex Jean Valjean, is that not just part and parcel? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's real excited about that uh that coin. Until Tanadier <laughs> comes and takes it away and you're like, let him enjoy it. Cosette finally gets to actually play and Madame Tanadier is not happy about it. She goes over to her, her husband and is like, Who the who the devil can this yellow man be? And I know it I like <laughs> went through the like stages of grief and then was like, He's got a yellow coat, he's got a yellow coat. <laughs> <laughs> Not the stages of grief that he could be a person of colour, just the stages of grief that I was like, oh, he could be, and this is how Victor Hugo said it. And I was like, this is how it's going. Yeah, I mean, I don't know when I'm assuming personage Jean. Oh, no, that is not how you would phrase that. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know whether uh, yellow denoting an Asian person was a thing until World War Two. I'm trying to think of things I studied. Ugh. Okay, it was the end of the 18th century when okay. the term yellow occasionally began to appear towards the end of the 18th century and then really took hold of the Western imagination in the 19th. Oh, well, not Western um, imagination. We... Sure have some good imagination. Yeah. Well, okay. Oh, it was good old Carl Linnaeus, um, who was the botanist and physician who basically came up with uh, most of how natural history works, mm -hmm. the like genus terminology, that kind of thing of like categorizing things by type. He also did that with humans. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. Mm. Okay, yeah, I'm sure it was something equally as horrible that uh, would have been used in Victor Hugo's time. And he, w oh, he wasn't here, so yeah. I give him props, and I was like, I thought the worst of you, and it was just the coat colour. I'm so relieved, I'm so unbelievably relieved. But also, second thought, so I was like, oh my god, and I was like, no, it's fine. And I was like, ah, oh, yellow coat, like the yellow chair. What's the significance of yellow? <laughs> Hmm. Colour meanings French yellow. <laughs> we'll we'll mull over that, but yeah. Maybe the that well I'm this Victor Hugo, I'm sure everything is actually significant. Yeah, it, I was reminded of the yellow chair. And Tenardier's like, Well, I have seen millionaires who uh wear coats as threadbare as that. That is made me think of, you know, that sort of current day like like I went to Goldsmiths to at university that you'd see so many people that you're like, I know that you're rich though. Why are you dressing like as poor boho whatever that you can? Like, well, nice to know that that was also a thing back then. Yeah, all well, those people who are like really rich. I mean, I also went to arts universities <laughs> and all those people who would like be so rich and be dressed in like trackies. And it's like, you hate poor people, mm. you call people like chavs and whatever. And then, but you're buying your like designer trackies. 
<laughs> and it's like it's so frustrating Literally. to look at you. God, that was like Goldsmith's tours. You know, like the beginning of the year to like show the new students around town. Mm-hmm. They're like, ooh, to the chicken shop. So you're like, this isn't poor people's zoo. Like, what is this? <laughs> the most annoying. So there's a, a shop in central London, Leicester Square, Covent Garden. That's what it is. Um, and it's like a designer t shirt shop. And it sells like, um, yeah, just like designer prints on t shirts. And I was walking past once and I've never been in there, but like I look in the window just to be like, what fresh horrors are you <laughs> selling for expensive prices? Bearing in mind, these t-shirts cost like 200 pounds-ish. Um, and I was walking past one once and there was a t-shirt that had nine chicken shops like written on it. So it was like Molly's and mm. like all of the like fake KFC. Yeah, exactly. And it was like um, the chicken shops of South London or whatever. And I was like, I am so <laughs> angry <laughs> that I have to look at this. Yeah. It's literally the like commodification mm. of like, oh, look at like my T-shirt that's got like poor people food on it. Oh, I'm so <laughs> hipster. <laughs> so a modern day adaptation of Les Mis around this sort of scene you would have to be dressing Jean Valjean in one of those outfits where you're like you could legitimately be poor but you could equally be someone oh rich God. cosplaying as someone poor I feel like the the Jean Valjean version of that is well but to be fair he's not buying designer clothes that look like poor people stuff but better quality he just is continuing to wear his same mm. poor people stuff but that he has the money to be able to afford stuff that is better quality where is so he on the Venn diagram quite appropriate. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> he's he would have to be one of those people who like i guess goes to is it brick lane where all the vintage yeah. stuff is am i jean valjean <laughs> Well, I grew up really poor and we only had potatoes because my dad worked at a potato bagging factory, but now I do like secondhand clothes. (laughs) Yeah, so anyway, Stevie, congrats on becoming the newest Jean Valjean. Good. Well, I have to go. I have to go pick up a small child. (laughs) This small child is very happy playing with her little uh, her little knife that she's swaddled like it's a little doll. Uh, because just in case you forget that she's a girl. Oh no, just you wait. I'm like so close to <laughs> getting the bottle opener out for you, Nemo. Um, the, uh, meanwhile, like while this has been taking place, Eponine and Azelma, they're not paying any attention to it. They're having fun playing with their doll. Um, this line from Victor Hugo, uh, they're like, chatting to each other with that seriousness that small girls do things like which like the splendor of a butterfly's wings loses its magic when you try to pin it down anyway mm-hmm. i'm gonna try and pin it down that it is like anyone who's spent a lot of time around very small children it is very much that thing where uh like eponine's like okay to Azama, um, that we're going to play with this doll, pretend this is my girl, that I'm a lady, uh, I come to see you and you look at her, then little by little you notice that 
she's got whiskers and you're surprised and then you'll notice she has ears and then you'll be like good gracious and i'll say yes madam this little girl of mine is like that that's the way little girls are nowadays but it's that very i love when little children are like this is the game i want you to play and you're like excellent i have my role i know exactly the script that you want me to use (laughs) I do forget to mention that they lost interest in their doll and are instead trying to dress up the cat. And that's why she's saying you'll be surprised about the whiskers. (laughs) It is quite sweet. It was just funny. It's just so Victor Hugo. They're like, well, no one could capture the majesty, but here I am capturing it. <laughs> I can render this flawlessly because I am Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo. And just as birds use anything to build a nest, so do children make a doll out of anything. And he goes on about little girls playing with dolls and teaching them and scolding them and cradling them and imagining that something is someone a woman's entire future lies in this, while dreaming and chattering, making little trousseau and layettes, sewing little dresses, blouses, vests. The baby girl, girl grows into a little girl, the little girl into a big girl, the big girl into a woman. The first child follows on from the last doll. A little girl without a doll is almost as unhappy and quite as inconceivable as a woman without a child. <laughs> Yeah, rather than a bottle opener, I'm just cracking the bottle open on a brick wall to shank someone with. And by someone, I do mean Victor Hugo in the neck. There's no other way of, like, reading that without just... I Well, I think, I argue, the stupid voice at which I gave it to you. Because you're just like, of course, yeah. like, of course, Victor Hugo, like... You have prepared me in the past about the way you'll talk about women sometimes, but, like, here it is. (laughs) It's just so... It's just... Yeah. It's like... There's nothing to say about it. It's just so... (laughs) He's already said it. It's right there on the page. Oh, alas. If only I had played... But the thing is, I did play with more dolls a lot when I was a kid, so... (laughs) Actually, Victor Hugo. Would that have been because you had them bought for you? Or like they're, they are what are around for little children? <laughs> we also had like a Ken doll that my brother was supposed to play with. But then we dressed up Ken in dresses too. <laughs> <laughs> well, they never get Ken as good outfits. At least not in the 90s. Yeah. Like, he always just had like shorts and a shirt. Yeah, like Ken used to have good outfits until they were like, oh no, gay men are buying these as like fun little like, <laughs> look at this butt plug that we made as a necklace. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll try and find a Tumblr post of that for you. Um, yeah. But, well, okay, maybe, potentially, maybe you've got us there, Victor Hugo. Children like dolls. But... Is inconceivable for a woman to be without a child? Yeah, yeah. It, it is the double-pronged thing of, like... but It's the thing of, like, it doesn't... <laughs> a, a, a little girl doesn't have to play with a doll in order to be a little girl. Slash, a, a doll isn't a girl's thing. And also the double-pronged thing of not all or people who were assigned female 
can give birth anyway. And not everyone who gives birth is female. It's just so much wrong with it that it's just like, yeah, cool. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Like, even if he didn't know about trans people, you know, and even if he didn't know about, like, gender politics and uh, um, even if he didn't believe that women could be anything other than mothers, it's still a very insensitive thing to be like, you're only a woman if you have children. Like, a woman's worth is her ability to bear children. Mm. It's just so... Like, I'm sure he was aware of how how childbirth works and uh, fertility works and stuff like that. Well, maybe he wasn't. Maybe it's yeah. <laughs> not in a way that's like, oh, you know, you've got to uh, allow him historic things, but maybe he just didn't care enough. I think that's more likely because you're like, I'm sure he's met a woman without a child who isn't unhappy. Yeah. Unless he meets any woman and if they're unhappy for any reason, he's like, oh, I diagnose you without child. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. that it's that easy. It's that simple. But yeah, he's literally been going on about how like awful Mrs. Tenardier is in a way that does not make her seem particularly happy. And she's got children. Yeah. So what is your point that you're making, Victor Hugo? But then but then her thing is that she's too masculine to take care of a child properly. If only she was more feminine, then she'd be able to love her children more. Mm. Oh, there's a Mrs. Tenardier line coming up. Mm. Don't empty the whole bottle of this metaphor. Don't release all the bees yet. There's still some more to come. The Tenardier is kind of trying to weigh up the man. It might not be Jean Valjean. Um, still trying to figure out, is is he just a weird rich person? Because I've met, there are some very weird rich folk. She goes from referring to him as the old fellow and the old man to Monsieur. Um, in that sort of sickly sweet expression on her face and... Going back to a little bit uh, adoring now that they're like, oh, maybe he's got money. Uh, got to suck up a little bit. They're like, oh, she's just a little pauper we've taken in. But, you know, she has to work because, you know, we have to feed her and we just can't afford to do something for nothing for her. She she must have water on the brain. She has a large head, as you can see. Mm. Um, I was like, is that more of the... Who was that boy who was like, ah, you have the face of a criminal? <laughs> oh, criminal <sighs> physiognomy. Mm. Yeah, we, we've like definitely spoken about it before because she's like, oh, yes, she's some sort of idiot child. And you can tell because look at that large head, You can, as you can see. But we are doing our best to look after her. Her mother must be dead. And, you know, she left her with us. She abandoned the child that... Cosette, who's playing nearby, can, like, hear this being said. And she just starts, like, as she's playing with her little swaddled knife, she just starts singing, my mother's dead, my mother's dead, my mother's dead. And you're like, this couldn't be darker. <laughs> but anyway, master of the house, am I right? <laughs> Keeper of those keys. Yeah. 
I feel like he... Like, literally, like, Bulbul and Schoenberg, whose names I'm not going to pronounce properly, and I don't apologise for it. Like, literally seeing this child on the floor swaddling a knife, like, singing a song about, like, heavily malnutritioned. Mm. <laughs> heavily malnourished. Nourished, thank you. Um, and, like, singing... Uh, my mother is dead, my mother is dead. Seeing that and being like, you know what? That's the comedy song. Like, I will keep on going on about this. I will keep on banging on about it. But like, what the fuck? <laughs> there are so many comedy characters in this novel. And the fact that they chose the Tenardiers. Absolutely batshit. I think it's definitely worth like harking on about. Because you're like, as many times as we point that out, there's like... Victor Hugo himself reiterates more times than I've actually read out how bruised and black and blue she is. And it's like, this wasn't subtext. It couldn't be more Mm. text. He has a career (laughs) as like a psychological horror writer. Like the way he described her fear in the forest earlier and this little girl like rocking a knife singing that Mm. her mother's dead to it is very strong imagery some might say (laughs) yeah like this it just reminded me of something else that i got angry about this week and you know there's plenty to get angry about in the world but fucking what's his face cameron mcintosh who is the producer who owns les mis currently he so Uh, at the time of recording British theatre is up the shithole because of Covid and the government and the government has basically just said you know uh, theatre and arts are not viable so nobody in the arts is going to get any money from the government through Covid which is really fun and then Cameron McIntosh (laughs) who is a millionaire yeah, he's a. Mi- I'm trying to remember whether he's a millionaire or a billionaire. I think he's a millionaire, but one of the richest people, uh, definitely in the arts. He owns most of West End, and he makes a sickening amount of money off of theatre, uh, which nobody else in theatre does. Uh, did an interview with the Times, uh, which is a British newspaper, this week. Um, where he basically said, hey, government, why are you giving money to anyone apart from me? I'm the one that's taking all of the heavy losses. Um, You need to fill my bank account with money instead. And it was literally a moment of like the entire theatre industry just like, what? (laughs) Because he, at the beginning of uh, lockdown, he fired all of his staff uh, so that he could continue making a profit and not furlough them and give people money through lockdown. And so, yeah, he literally came out on main and was like, hey guys, so I am not quite as much as a millionaire as I should be because of COVID. So the government shouldn't give any money to anyone in theatre apart from me because I'm rich. And it was like, you own Les Mis. What do you think Les Mis is about? (laughs) And it was just such a moment of like, you know, it's not like I'm under the illusion that Cameron McIntosh actually gives a shit about the message of Les Mis. But it was really like a a 
uh, dissonance of like, wow, he really does not give a shit about the story of Les Mis. It's just like a caricature <laughs> of a villain. Literally. Then Victor Hugo would maybe write to try and make a point to the bourgeoisie classes about how they need to look at the poorer classes and maybe question the other a little bit. Yeah, literally. And like, you, Karen McIntosh has made his fortune off of exploiting poor people who uh, usually work in West End uh, or buy cheap tickets to West End or just want to go and see the theatre. Um, by paying the people who work in theatre pennies so that he can maintain huge profits and charging people huge like margins on seats. And he's exploiting a story about poor people being exploited in order to earn money. <laughs> it's so, like... It's like what? It's it would be satirical if it wasn't the real life. <laughs> Literally, it's like you can't make this shit up. God, you wish that it was yeah. Anyway, Lewis. <laughs> yeah. The st- anyway, the story of uh, exploited people getting exploited forever. <laughs> um while all of these things are going on. This is like a really long chapter. Um, on the one hand, I feel like I'm blasting through it. And on the other hand, I'm like, I'm not going quick enough. Um, they keep being like, oh, yes, he's a millionaire. And then he asks for just bread and cheese for dinner. And they're like, he's a beggar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the little girls are like distracted, trying to swaddle this poor cat. So Cosette's like, oh, the doll is unattended and no one is paying her any attention except for the man and she feels such like safety from him that she doesn't really like think about that it's more like oh the Tenardiers are distracted uh while these little girls are singing these little songs to their various dolls the patrons of the of the tavern are singing really bawdy songs she creeps out from under her table and takes the doll and the joy of playing with the doll was so rare for her that it had all the intensity of a real thrill um she has this intense joy for like quarter of an hour before it was it literally that scene from cinderella where one of them noticed one of the little girls notices the doll's shiny slipper or yeah i think it was like it's little slipper that she hadn't hidden as well as she'd hidden the rest of the doll and they're like well now i want to play with it again and they're like mom look she's got our doll that again mrs tonati is like ah this time you're getting in trouble for real i've been waiting all evening practically to find an excuse to abuse this child because straight away in her sort of usual learned fashion is like oh no please like i'm sorry i'll never do it again i'm so sorry weeping it's the Tenardier woman shouting at her for this, that, like, through all the rest of this evening's scenes, you know, of carrying the water bucket, walking through this terrifying forest, being so cold and so scared, she's not actually cried through all of this, but it's this moment, here, uh, the hearing the ominous words, uh, that she bursts into sobs, and mm. the traveller raises straight to his feet, and is like, well, what's the matter? Like, why is this 
becoming such a scene. And Mrs. Tonari is like, oh, well, she dared to touch the children's doll. She's so dirty and she's like touched it with her horrible, dirty hands. Um, Cosette is crying. And the man just walks out of the room. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Not my yeah. problem. And like in that time, Mrs. Tenardier is like, oh, now t- uh, takes advantage of his absence to give Cosette a hefty kick under the table. But then the door opens and the man reappeared and is carrying with both hands the fabulous doll that had already been mentioned, uh, which everyone in the village or the youngsters in the village had been enthralled with. And he stands in front of Cosette and says, this is for you. And then breaks the flow of this scene a little bit, Victor Hugo, to be like, we can only assume that in the time he'd been there, which was an hour or so more, he had been dimly aware of the fancy goods stall, uh, so splendidly illuminated, as if we'd be like, how did he know where the doll was? Even though he mentioned that they walked past it earlier. <laughs> So we have that little aside. Um, back to the scene. Cosette looks up. She is like the sun is approaching as he's holding this doll out to her. And he keeps saying like, oh, this is for you. You can take it. And she just retreats. She almost, like, she can't believe this. That like the more he's sort of like, oh, you, you, it's for you. You can have it. That she like reveres this doll, but also fears it. The Tenardier woman is speechless. Um, it's like, who the hell is this old man? Is he a pauper? Is he a millionaire? He may be both. In other words, a thief. Mm. And this is when Mr. Tenardier gets involved and is like, okay, I've scented out this man and it smells like a bag of money. Um, but he's like, let him give Cosette the doll. And you know, Cosette has to double check with Mr. Tenardier, like, oh, can I actually take it? And she's like, yes, fine, okay have it, it's yours, he brought it for you. Um, Clearly unhappy about it. But Cosette is like, well, Cosette gazed at the marvellous doll with a kind of terror. There's such joy in her that it's almost, she felt as if she had suddenly been told, little one, you're the Queen of France. Like, it's so unbelievable to her that someone would give her something nice. Mm. Um, And she she finally takes it um, and sits down to like, quietly almost like in contemplation not like you'd expect her to start playing with it and the stranger's eyes are like full of tears they're like ah man who could be Jean Valjean how much is this absolutely destroying you (laughs) I just had the worst thought and I'm trying to find whether anyone else has had this thought but um I just wondered how many people ship Jean Valjean with Tenardier. Don't do this to us, Nemo. I hope it's zero. Oh, Nemo, you know it's good. How many fics are in with Jean Valjean? There's got to be at least, I'm going to say, 33. What's your What's your guess before you look it up? Um, my guess is two. I want you to be right. Same. <laughs> we play this game in my house with everything we watch, and we're never happy with the results. Oh, people ship Jean Valjean and Montparnasse. I guess they talk once, but that's a bit gross. I don't think there's any. That actually comes as a legitimate surprise to me. A nice one. Yeah, but I just felt like I did spell it wrong. Oh no. There's Madame Tenardier. Well, what, what, what would you put? Does 
Well, you were the closest on the Madame Thenardier, <laughs> Jean Valjean. Wait, is there? There's one. Oh, wait, here we go. Mm. Mr. Thenardier, Jean Valjean. Also only one. Well, this could have been a more upsetting evening. Yeah, yeah. You still sound so empty with that knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so empty. I hate this. But it was just like, I can't remember what it was. Oh, yeah. When you said um, uh, Thenardier had scented Jean Valjean. Oh, no. just... <laughs> you were like, what if there's an Alpha Omega fic? Yeah. That is exactly the thought process that I went through. So Well, when we cut this out so it doesn't give anyone the idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, why would you? That's so... But they haven't, I mean... Nemo. But they haven't. But they haven't. Yeah, they haven't. So it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. This is fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. This is fine. This is fine. Everything is Lame fine. Is Carry fine. on with Les Mis. <laughs> Les Mis is fine. It's a fine, it's a fine novel and that's the end. <laughs> um... Yeah, his eyes are full of tears, watching Cosette incredulously play with this little doll. This stranger, this unknown individual who seemed to be a visitation to Cosette made by Providence, underlined four <laughs> times, um, was at that moment the most hated thing in the world to the Tenarie woman that she eventually like can't bear it. I was like, right, okay, it's been a long day for her. All of the children, like her children as well, go to bed. They stay up to kind of watch the man um, at his table. <laughs> like as soon as once Cosette's gone to bed, he doesn't say anything else. He just kind of like sits there, thinking. Doesn't even talk to his boyfriend Cartier. Oh yeah. Oh, he's not mentioned further. Sad. Single tear for <laughs> all of these men who like have a moment with Jean Valjean. Well, with the mysterious man. Sorry, misconnection. <laughs> <laughs> you had a shiny one. A fic that's like, um, you know those fics that are like anime fanfics yeah. where it's like every chapter is a different ship yeah. and it's got like a billion different ships and it's just Jean Valjean next all of the men he meets. I'm gonna write it, but it's actually one of those fics that you look at the word count and you're like, how is it zero? And then actually it's just like art or pictures of um, fake chat, <laughs> but it's in the style of the misconnections part of a newspaper. In oh my God, set yeah. at the time, and all of the misconnections are all the different people who had a moment with a mysterious man. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, what's that newspaper that Jean Valjean's death was written in? The like. It was in two of them. Uh, the something de um... Paris. <laughs> I'll find it for the thick, because the other one's the <laughs> the man that he saved from falling off that ship. Okay, yeah. that's what. Screw the looking for providence and things like that. We're looking for missed connections for <laughs> what will be this magnum opus of both of us. <laughs> yeah. Not your lamest PhD, not this podcast. No, 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 no. Of course not. Of course not. Um, sadly, the Carter is not mentioned further that I can recall. Or if he was, he's happy to just also sit in a comfortable silence with this mysterious man. Yeah. yeah. They're just making out in a corner. <laughs> That's why there's no words. <laughs> Accepted. Um, meanwhile, the two Tenardiers are still like, what is up with this guy? Giving me 40 francs, uh, uh, g giving 40 franc dolls to 
a little bitch I'd gladly exchange for 40 sous. Uh, yeah. uh, wanting that little monster to play, uh, coming here and upsetting us. Where the t- so Madame Tenardier is furious, whereas Mr. Tenardier is like, well, it's his pleasure. Uh, it's your pleasure to have the little one work. It's his pleasure to let her play. He's entitled to it. He has the money. So what's that? What's it to you? Uh, if he's a is a fool, it's no concern of yours. Why interfere as long as he has money? So for yeah, Mr. Tenardier, all that matters is the bottom line. Mm. So let him do whatever he wants. The rest of the bar went from singing those body songs to just watching this mysterious man uh, from a <laughs> distance with, with a kind of respectful awe. So everyone's in awe of him. Um, uh-huh. He was certainly a magnificent and intimidating fellow. Uh-huh, sure. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Hugo, for being really gay for Jean Valjean. Yep. lest we forget. Um... But eventually, the patrons, I guess, grow tired of watching this magnificent older man. Um, and they start trickling off to bed. And then the Tenardiers are like, oh my god, he's still up. Madame Tenardier makes it till 2am. He sort of sat there at his table at 2am. And she's like, okay, I've got to bounce, I guess. Um, but Mr. Tenardier finally is like, okay, sir, um, are you going to retire? Because to retire suggested luxury and sounded respectful. And using words like those has the uh, peculiarity of inflating the bill the next day. A room where you go to bed costs 20 sous. A room to which you retire costs 20 francs. Mm. Um, and yeah, the Jean Valjean's like, oh, oh, sorry, the mysterious stranger. is like, <laughs> okay, I guess I should. Where's your stable? And Mr. Tenardier's like, no, 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 I'll show you to your room. And it's not to the stable, it's to a bedroom with rare splendour and mahogany and a boat bed and red calico curtains. And the traveller's like, what is this? Like, oh, it's our bridal chamber. Um, No one comes here more than three or four times a year. And then just, like, get him, mysterious traveller. He's like, I'd have rather, I would have sooner stayed in in the stable. I'm gonna do the line again. I like got too excited and stumbled over it. <laughs> I'd have just as soon stayed in the stable. <laughs> and Tanaria just uh, pretended not to hear this somewhat disobliging remark. And then he notices in the room this mysterious traveler a woman's headdress made of silver wire and orange blossoms. He's like, what? What is this? He's like, oh, it's my wife's bridal headdress. And then. The Victor Hugo showed in this line, the traveller observed the object with a look that seemed to say, so there was actually a time when that monster was a virgin? (laughs) (laughs) We're almost there! (laughs) Like, I don't know that the mysterious traveller would think that. Victor Hugo, I know that you would, though. Yeah, literally. Like, the mysterious traveller is like... (sighs) You would like to think that he's not a fucking misogynist. Um, Just a decent human who makes a point not to judge other human beings on Earth because that's literally his only life goal right now is not to judge other people 
But uh, sure, Victor, that's what the mysterious traveller would have thought. Very in character. Good job. 10 out of 10. Um, Of course, Donatier was lying. Uh, These were just some pieces that he'd bought secondhand that he thought would give the room that what the English call respectability. You're like, okay, okay. Um, Whatever you want to think, Tenardier. Tenardier finally leaves the mysterious stranger bee, goes back to his room. His wife is still up and she's like, you know, I'm turning Cosette out of the house tomorrow. Then they exchange no other words um, and extinguish their little candle. Meanwhile, the traveller puts down his staff and his bundle he creeps out of bed and the original child sleeping under the under the staircase Cosette's in a little like a little box with no sheets um a coverlet full of holes um curled up and she's got her big fancy doll held close to her like her in these little rags this doll in its pink silk um and next to the bed is just one of the clogs there's an open doorway nearby and he sort of peeks in and that's where the rest of the children are sleeping. Um, the two girls in their beds. And then I had also actually forgotten, so I, thanks for reminding us, Victor Hugo, the uh, wicker cradle in which slept another little child, the little boy who'd been crying all evening. Mm. And <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to retroactively like, go over all those horrible scenes and you're like, and a child was crying the whole time. Mm. Um, and the two little girls put their little shoes by the fireplace because it's Christmas, lest we forget. The good fairy, uh, that is to say their mother, had already paid a visit and put a ten-sou coin into each of their little shoes. And then he notices right at the back there's a wooden clog with a split down the middle. You know, despite everything, there's still that childish hope. So he puts a gold coin into the little oh shoe. Uh, a sublime and sweet thing as hope in a child who has never known anything but despair. He puts the coin in. He strode back to his room. Stole back. He stole back to his room. <laughs> stole back to his room. Because he's a thief. A thief who leaves little coins for sad children. For little babies. Why? So, <laughs> you say. Why doesn't Jean Valjean take Gavroche to... <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Was that has someone written that fic? I think there are fics where it's like Cosette and Gavroche are adopted together, but not nearly enough. Mm. Well, we we keep ending these ones on a sad note, and I guess it's lame news, so I guess I can allow that. But there is like that <laughs> glimmer of hope, that shiny penny in our shoes that things are about yeah. to get better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to look up how much a golden coin was, but I'm pretty sure it's more than a penny. Oh, it's a lot. A gold louis compared to a sou. I'm imagining like waking up and finding like a hundred quid just like stuffed down a trainer. (laughs) (laughs) It's got to be at least 20 quid. Okay, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, we're not going to get into maths again. (laughs) So yeah, that is slightly positive. We're on the up and up. From now, well, kind of. <laughs> For a bit. There's less child abuse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're very, we're very close to the end of this sad chapter of Cosette's life. 
I promise. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I guess it is good that he really, well, I don't know if good is the word, but you know, like, Victor Hugo really makes the reader, like, live in this, and it's very, it's, they are quite intense chapters. So it would be, you would think, impossible for the reader not to pick up what he's putting down with this whole, Mm. um, how tragic this is and that, you know, you assume this is how plenty of children were and are being treated. But it is also a lot reading it. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, I, I mean, it's been very obvious what my opinions on Victor Hugo are in this, but there is something to be said about the way that he does describe it where it is genuinely good storytelling. Yeah, when he... But sometimes he doesn't have to be like this. <laughs> yeah, when he does a good job, he does a really good one. It's just that you mm. wish he would consistently just tell the story. Because, yeah, some of yeah. the asides, like, I don't... There's not enough time to always hone in on them, but like the one where you're like, I don't know that the traveller would have thought that, Victor Hugo. Yeah. Or if he does, yeah. how can that not affect the way that I now see this character? So what one do you want me to think, Victor Hugo? Like, he just wants to be clever so often that it just, like, ruins what is actually clever about the story. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, on that insightful um, piece of literary criticism this has been brad and barricades a lamest podcast produced by me nima martin and julian yeah it was a captain's collections podcast if you would like to leave us a golden louis in our little <laughs> clog on the fireplace um we have a coffee and a patreon we have no idea what the exchange rate of a louis is into today's money but any money <laughs> a shiny golden penny would do uh if you like the show um, if you have any comments, questions, or quibbles, you can send us an email, lamerspodcast at gmail.com, L-E-S-M-I-S, podcast. Or you can send us a tweet at the same Twitter handle, <laughs> at L-E-S-M-I-S, podcast. Or on Tumblr, at Bread and Barricades. Our audio director is Jade, who you can find on her website, jdwasabi.com, or on her bandcamp, jdwasabi.bandcamp.com. Great, cool, and that's it. <laughs> Thank you for listening. It'll get better soon. <laughs> Thank you. It'll get better soon. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.